Welcome to Thoroughly Wrong, and now your hosts, Francisco and Rob. Take it away, guys. All right, welcome to the Thoroughly Wrong Project with Francisco and Robert. It's a beautiful Saturday morning, early in the morning. I don't think we've ever ever recorded this early, so I'm not awake yet. And like I was talking before, uh, I haven't had my coffee yet, and that doesn't come to after the podcast. So if I'm a little grouchy, you know, shit happens. <laughs> Today we have uh, a guest, Kat. We're going to talk about a really serious problem in America and uh, close to our, all of our hearts because we all work in the industry. I hate to call it an industry, but it is uh, homelessness. Uh, welcome, Kat. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. How are you guys doing this morning? Pretty Great. good. Excellent. Excellent. You like this early mornings? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't really drink coffee or anything, so. You don't drink coffee? No, it does. I feel like it doesn't do much for me. <laughs> like energy drinks, coffee, I, I feel the same, so I kind of just. Don't, oh, I don't, I don't do much. energy drinks. No, thank you. The only thing that's ever like that I know worked for me to like keep me awake when I needed to stay awake were those little like five hour energy shots. Cause I was like driving like through the grapevine, like at two, three in the morning. Yeah. And I was like, I need to pull over cause I'm so tired. And then I took one and I was like wired. Yeah. Wired till Thursday. Right. It's like, yeah, damn. But, but that's only like rare occasions. So other than that, I just wake myself up just by doing whatever I need to be doing. Right on, man. I know Kat drinks coffee. I definitely do. I had one cup this morning already at about maybe 7 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> Up early this morning. <laughs> well, that's my right. usual Saturday. So. Yeah, when I was a truck driver, I used to stop at Sheets or uh, can't remember the name of the truck stop, but I used to get a cup of coffee and, and drop a five-hour energy in it. And drive. <laughs> yeah, it's like your hair is sticking straight up. So whenever you see one of those truck drivers up there with his eyes like pegged, that's what it is. It's five hour energy <laughs> mixed in with the coffee. He's only been driving for about two days, so stay out of his way. <laughs> well, I don't know if anybody knows. Uh, we haven't really talked about it, Lalo, but um, Lalo and I and Kat all work for. Kern County as homeless adult team. Shout out to BHRS. We, um, we, I've been here for about a year. Um, and this, this program has morphed three times since I've been here and I've been in three different programs. And the one that's coming up, the one I'm in now currently Rome, which I don't know what that acronym stands for. Do you cat? Uh, no, don't, don't know. I mean, I carry yeah. it around with me, but I, not that I'm aware of, <laughs> not off the top of my head, no. Yeah, that's one of those things. It's like, we're in the Rome program. <laughs> what is that? Uh, well, it's um, something to do with the homeless. That's, you know, that's what we do. I'm guessing the O is outreach. Maybe the E is like engagement. Uh, yeah, it's uh, re. It's like relation, outreach, engagement model, I think. That's what it's. Okay. Okay. Yeah. We'll go with that. Relational we'll with that. outreach engagement model. Okay. And we've needed it for quite a long time because in the, I don't know, 11, 12 months, well, even before, before this, this has only been going on for about a month, but before that, it was very <clears throat> cut and dry. It was like. Hello, homeless person. Do you need services? Do you need mental health services? Is in the, there was nothing else that we offered. So now this engagement is more like, hey, how you doing? What's your name? You know, if they want to give it or not, that's fine. But we ask them what they need rather than, you know, what services we offer right away to uh, overwhelm them. And uh, I like this a lot better. Yeah, I think that approach is a lot. Uh, better even for them instead of us telling them because you know i feel like if we explain to them like this is what we offer this is what we do they're going to be like in their minds like oh i don't know if that really pertains to me like if that's something i need but in, when we ask them what do you need 
like what are you struggling with and they tell us and then we can get we can take that information and then see if we have something that can help with those certain issues i feel yeah. like that's a lot easier to to get the ball rolling you know yeah definitely definitely when when we're a mental health team when we were it seemed like we were strictly a mental health team whenever we didn't you know they didn't need services we were just kind of like well okay and but now we can hand them off to a different team. Uh, I don't need mental health services. Yeah, but you do you need a sleeping bag? Do you need shoes? Do you need some food, some water, a hygiene kit, something? And then we can get to know these people and then we can hand them off to a team that suits their needs. Yeah. I think that's and, something that we've always wanted to do is to engage with people without an agenda. And right. what we've tried to do but now that we have, you know, the okay to to do that without the the pressure of um, providing mental health services right off the bat is definitely something I think people appreciate because when you're randomly walking up to people and asking them <laughs> if they have mental health <laughs> issues or you know what's your trauma and uh, <laughs> I don't think I know anyone who likes to be asked those questions right up front. <laughs> Yeah, well, my trauma so. is that you're asking me about my trauma. That's <laughs> fucking with me. So stop. Yeah, they don't have a lot of trust because yeah. the system has failed them repeatedly. And, you know, I'm sure that they've been promised things that haven't happened. And sometimes it's their fault. We're going to say that right yeah. off the bat. Sometimes people are homeless because it's their fault and they don't get services because it's their fault. But most mm -hmm. of the time... I'm going to just go out on a limb here and say, it's just our cultures failed these people in some way or another. Yeah. yeah. And even mental health, like even now, I feel like it's gotten a lot better, but I still think it's very, it's kind of a, like a taboo thing to talk about, you know, people don't yeah. really like to talk about that, especially, you know, to some strangers pulling up in a van, uh, you it, doesn't say, it doesn't say naps and candy on the side, though, so it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's very hard for somebody to kind of admit to themselves, like, yeah, I have uh, mental health issues. Um, I think that's just, in general, a very hard thing to kind of come to grips with and accept for yourself. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, you have to not only accept it, but then want to get help or want to get better, you know? Yeah, not only want to, Lalo, you have to figure out how to get it because <clears throat> when when a culture doesn't discuss it, then it becomes a problem where I don't have access. And if I don't have access, then all I do is say I don't have a problem because what else am I going to do? I think that one of the important things to mention is that uh, between 1955 and 1994, they were uh, about 400 and so basically about half a million patients were discharged from the state hospitals. So when a lot of the hospitals closed, you know, there's about 70,000 beds available nationwide, which means that about, you know, half of the population who is currently homeless, you know, they should or theoretically would have been provided hospitalization between 1955 and 1994, but those beds aren't available anymore. So a lot of them are just roaming the streets. Yeah. What yeah. happened? I mean, we got, yeah. they cut funding for it or? Uh, there is just a deinstitutionalization. De 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 so, that's uh, a 13 uh, syllable word. Deinstitutionalization. You know, a lot of the service were, I think in the past years, and even in terms of uh, criminal justice reform, the plan has been to deinstitutionalize uh, a lot of the services. So I think that's one of the, uh, you know, unintended consequences of deinstitutionalization is if you don't have a, a solid plan, a lot of people fall through the cracks. Yeah, uh, yeah. I lived in, when that happened in, in 94, I lived in West Virginia and I worked in um, the state hospital, which had, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to guess roughly a thousand people in it. It was mm -hmm. a big one. It was huge. It was, a, it's actually the largest hand cut stone building in America. And mm -hmm. it's this beautiful castle looking thing. Well, there were hundreds of people in there and 
the the fence around the place and, and people stood outside all day long and it was just a, this fixture in town where you know and and I I'm not being facetious but that that's where the crazy people were and it was a, it was a institution in a town it it was where everybody worked in 94 they shut it down they took about uh, roughly 100 and put them in a new facility on top of a hill. That was the ones who could not take care of themselves. They were dangerous. They were, you know, so mentally ill that they, they couldn't function in society. And they actually took people in busloads to like Charleston, West Virginia and Parkersburg and just let them go. So suddenly, you know, you have how many people who are just suddenly without care walking the streets. It was a disaster. I lost my job because I, I, that's where I worked. That's I, I went into auto parts after that, mm-hmm. but it was just always been in my heart that I, I could not believe that, you know, suddenly there's people standing on the corner and sleeping in the alleys in a small town of 1500. So what an issue it became all of a sudden, just like that. Right. Yeah. And I think that's, you always hear that like on the news, like, oh, California is like rampant with like, you know, a homeless issue, a homeless population mm-hmm. issue. And you hear that all these states, like all these like Democratic blue states, oh, like, you know, you guys have like a bunch of homeless people. Like what kind of, you know, what, how are you running your government where, you know, that's one of your biggest issues. But the more you think about it, like a lot of homeless people tend to gravitate to these places because these are the places that offer the most services to them, you know? Right. Um, I have some family that they live in uh, near Prescott in Arizona. And, you know, there's like, I was there for a few weeks and I didn't see a single homeless person. And, you know, that's something I brought up to them. There was a few years ago. And they told me like, it's very hard to be a homeless person here. Like the cops will kick you out. Like you, you know, they'll do those things where they put the handrails in between the benches mm-hmm. so people can't sleep right. on them. They'll, you know, all these little tactics here and there that make it very hard to be a homeless person there. And they have no other choice but to leave the area, you know. Right. You right. know, they'll they'll trespass. They'll get them for trespassing, throw them in jail. And then, you know, or like you said, they'll bust them and ship them somewhere else. That's literally what some places do. Um so I think that's something we really need to, like, look at and take care of. Right. Robert and I, I believe, I don't know if Robert did, but I participated in the homeless count in Bakersfield last year. And the consensus was, was that a lot of the folks who are homeless in Bakersfield were actually born here. Um, so I think the common notion amongst community members is that they're bust in from somewhere else. But a part of... I think being a responsible community member is also saying that, well, a lot of these people, they were born and raised in Bakersfield and they're from here. Right. Um, it, I think to think of it as sort of a myth that this is, you know, this is a problem that was somewhere else and it came here and that's uh, to the community member, I think is, is not taking responsibility uh, for, for our city. So that's what I would like to see more of is is Bakersfield taking more ownership of the problems that are here in terms of homelessness, housing, uh, and providing affordable rent, uh, you know, low subsidized or subsidized housing for low income families. Uh, and as far as the, the cost of housing in California, the average cost of rent here is about $1,400. Yeah. So if you're making minimum wage, that's just not affordable, especially if you have children. Um, well, the new the new uh, stimulus bill, one point nine trillion, has a plan in it to raise the federal minimum wage from seven twenty five to fifteen dollars over right. over twenty the next what four years? It was yes. twenty twenty five? Yeah, but the problem is, as the wages go up, is mm-hmm. the rent going to go up? that's the thing yeah well i think that's like what kind of what cat was saying how you kind of have to combine the two of you know not only raising the minimum wage or raising you know the financial freedom people are able to have but also providing these subsidized low-income housing and being able to give them that opportunity to you know kind of 
begin to dig them what themselves out of the hole that they're in yeah because for a lot of people it's getting deeper and deeper and there's really no no end in sight so yeah, i think you need a combination of programs and assistance uh not just one single thing's gonna fix everything you know oh my god you yeah. fucking liberal <laughs> I mean, if 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 we want to look at it that way, I think that the problem would not be, you know, raising the minimum wage to fifteen dollars an hour. The problem is that people uh, love to make a profit on off of their investment. So, you know, landlords theoretically could decide to keep rent the same, but uh, you know, if you, if your main income source is is uh, being a rent uh, a homeowner who rents housing you you want to keep your same profit so you're going to increase the cost of rent right uh, that's unfortunately the way that it is or they, they could very much so keep the same rent price and you know raise the minimum wage and the world would be a better place but that's just not the world we live in yeah exactly. like that's one of when it comes to like something like universal basic income that's a lot of questions that people ask because they say well you know if you give a thousand dollars a month into everybody's hands don't you think mm -hmm. their landlords are gonna be like oh well you got an extra thousand dollars every month right. bump up the, the rent you know a few hundred bucks and they will um, so Unless there's a rent control law to, Unless to, there is a exactly, that's, what, I'm saying. Like, that's right. what we need like we need multiple policies uh you know for homeless people first of all we need to get them off the streets we need to get them in stable housing because i mean I feel like that alone does like tremendous help on, you know, your mental health. You you're seeing yourself on a path to getting better. You know, you're seeing progress in your life. And I think that really helps you uh, internally. And then from there, you know, stabilize the housing, you know, job training, job assistance, uh, you know, some simple things like helping them build a resume. And then from there, you know, kind of just up and up and up. Yeah. So well, I'm actually reading an article here that uh, from, uh, I don't know how credible the source is, but CureBed Los Angeles says that as of January 1st, uh, California has uh, enacted a statewide rent control for the first time. Uh, there is a limit on rent hikes, so landlords uh, cannot raise rent more than 5% plus the local rate of inflation in a year. Um, that's not that's that's a great thing yeah now especially here in california yeah see that's that's a treating the problem mm -hmm. but the problem is americans especially especially americans we have this idea that if we treat the symptom mm -hmm. that then it'll be fine but if we go back and solve the fucking problem <laughs> and and people oh my god it 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 makes me so angry when people talk about the homeless, not, not just because that's my job, but because it's my heart that, mm -hmm. that I have for these people. And they talk about the homeless like they're the problem. And I always tell them, you know what? The homeless people aren't the fucking problem. Homelessness is the problem. Mm -hmm. And that's the source of what we have to treat. And like Lalo said, you've got to get them in housing first. And that's the beauty of this Rome program. Now, instead of, Okay, I got to get you some treatment. I got to get you X, Y, and Z, and then I'll get you in a house. And, and we flipped it backwards now. Let's get you in housing, and then we can get you X, Y, Z in treatment. That's the beautiful part of this new program. That I, I love it, man. Yeah, because, I mean, for a lot of these people, um, it's kind of hard to focus on, you know, treatment and, uh, you know, therapy, things like that when – you know, you're kind of worried, like, oh, where am I going to sleep tonight? You know, yeah. where am I going to find food? Where am I going to, you know, get some water? Like, that kind of takes the forefront. Like, surviving for them is probably one of their main concerns on a daily basis. <laughs> it's hard to work on your anxiety when it's caused by your homelessness. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm hopeful now. I really am. I have a... Uh, but you know what? There... Not just the mentally ill, not just the ones that have fallen through the cracks. We're starting, Cad, you can tell me if you see this too. I see a lot of people who don't want off the street now. They just say, I'm, I'm, I've been away from people for so long and I'm happy out here. I don't want to go inside. Mm 
And I don't know if that's mm -hmm. the truth or if that's really the situation in their minds. I think it goes both ways. Uh, people, I, uh, you know, I've observed that people are, they've become accustomed to living on the streets where they can come and go as they please. They're free to come in and out. And if they're placed in some of these shelters, they don't have the option to do that. You know, there's rules, there's regulations. Yeah. They're, you know, they can't, uh, I mean, I'll just say it a lot of, uh, know these homeless the people who are homeless they struggle with substance use yeah. and uh they tend to become you know attached to the area area of town that they frequent because it's close to where they can use and um you know they have they develop some of these survival tactics and techniques to where they can make it in, in that community closest to where uh you know some of the other people can homeless people can support them so I do sometimes see that they, they don't want housing in terms of shelters, but they they are eager to have some form of housing. I don't think that anyone really wants to you know, know what it feels like to go days on end or weeks on end without showering or a place to use the bathroom. I don't think that that's part of the, what people want to do, but I do think that you know through, through trauma or years of living on the streets that it's something that becomes normalized to them. And so uh, you think it's just acceptance? If, yeah, they've, they've accepted uh, where they are. And I, I, I'd like to think that they've made, you know, attempts, attempts in their early <laughs> years to get off the streets to, you know, live, quote unquote, normally. Um, but part of it, I think, is just uh, they've become accustomed to living that way. And, uh, you know, any habit is hard to break. But when it's a habit of lifestyle, I think that's more so than some of the other things, you know. And it's not a crime for them to live on the streets. I think that as a society community, we've made it a crime for people to be homeless. And it's not a crime for them to be homeless. That's right. You know, to live outside of walls or to live inside of walls is a social construct. It's it's more so of their, they're an inconvenience to, uh, you know, business owners or cause public health issues with homelessness uh, without access to showers or bathrooms or, you know, if they're frequenting places where there's business that causes a problem for business owners, uh, you know, there's a, a real issue with hepatitis, uh, HIV, AIDS amongst the homeless population and, you know, Part of I think addressing homelessness is is becoming aware of the fact that it is a public health issue without uh, you know taking away from people's humanity when you're offering them services or trying to address their problem. There, there are so many. You you mentioned the substance abuse, and not you know not only that. We're looking at twenty. Like, I think it was twenty to twenty five percent of these people are mentally ill. And then you've got family violence problems, mm -hmm. physical health issues, loss of employment. Uh, I, I can't find a place to live, limited housing, drug and alcohol addiction. And some of that addiction happens after they become homeless. So when, mm -hmm. you know, and then we've got traumatic experiences, which almost happened to me after my car accident in 99. I moved here from West Virginia in July of 99. And in August, that kid hit me going over 100 miles an hour. Well, here I am in California. I'm 2,400 miles away from home. And all of a sudden, I don't have a car. I'm in a wheelchair. My son is dead. You know, so you got this whole thing going on. I had no one. And if if I hadn't had a neighbor, and I, I you know, I can't even remember the guy's name anymore. But the dude knocked on my door and he offered to, to go grocery shopping for me. And he offered to, to help me get my laundry down there. And he was just this kind hearted person. If it hadn't been for that dude, I would have been on the street. Just that simple because I had nowhere to go. I had nowhere to go and no help. So when shit like that happens to people and then they end up on the street and then they end up on drugs and someone comes by and says, you know, of course you're homeless. You're a fucking drug addict. 
I get so angry. I'm like, do you understand what could have taken these people to the streets? Right. We have got to be more empathetic because right. it could be us. The next one, you're up to bat, kid. You're going in the street. What are you going to do? Yeah. And I think right. this whole pandemic situation has really, I mean, not for everyone, obviously, but for a lot of people, it's kind of shown them that things could change like overnight and you could find yourself, you know, without a job, without uh, stable income for you and your family. And it's really shown people like it really can like, you know, happen to anybody. And I'm sure it has happened to a lot of people. I'm sure there's, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of people that have become homeless, you know, in the past year because of this whole COVID situation. Yeah. So, you know, the the progress that I think or I felt we were making, you know, in the past few years, I think kind of just with the whole pandemic, it might have, you know, taken a few steps back. Uh, just because, you know, not 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 just for the people that are living, you know, that lose their job and, you know, become homeless or, you know, are affected by it. But even by people like us or departments like us that, you know, we have to change our way of providing services. You know, early on, there was like, you know, nobody coming into work. Everything was over the phone. It's kind of hard to really, you know, it's kind of hard to do outreach when you're not doing outreach. You're not going out there and interacting yeah. with these people. Yeah. So, you know, I think we're really on, on the way back, like we're on the go uh, when it comes to that. But I think it's going to take a little bit more time. I think one of the good things about the whole COVID situation, though, being in a pandemic, is that it's shown us that, uh, you know, enacting these, uh, you know, uh, moratoriums on evictions has made it so that some some families are able to keep their homes where, you know, that could have, maybe, who knows, those families could have ended up homeless during this time, but because of COVID, that moratorium has been placed on eviction, so those families are not homeless, and it's shown us that it's possible, uh, at, you know, as a nation to not have evictions. Right. Right. That that has, there there's just a simple you know that one simple problem with it once the moratorium is over right what's the law <laughs> say here you know because yeah. suddenly the landlord has ten thousand dollars that he needs to pay the bank in order to keep right. the house that he has and if he loses the house then the people in the house may lose their their housing so yeah. it's just this domino effect it's like yep we're not you don't have to pay right now and then yeah. the the owners are saying well when do they have to pay or do right. they have to pay? And if they don't, do I have to pay? Yeah. So it's billions and trillions of dollars are being held up right now. And what a fucking mess, really. <laughs> what a mess. When the moratorium ends, it's like, <laughs> I think you and I and uh, Francis going to be really busy. <laughs> yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, even for like mortgages, there was a lot of companies that were putting, you know, pause on on mortgage payments yeah yes. imagine for a lot of these landlords um they were able to do the same we hope they don't if they're not getting rent i don't think they're gonna try to want to either pay out of pocket or you know fall back on their mortgage so i'm pretty sure they they also put a a pause on their on their mortgage payments yeah okay. so instead of you know the 36 months that you owed on the on the uh on the loan, you missed 12 months. You still owe 36 months now. It just got, you got an extension. Yeah. We yeah, hope. They, yeah. They just tack yeah. it on at the end. Um, but mind. I don't think that's going to be a hundred percent of the time. No. Just, yeah. I think that just went based on whether the like lending company was willing to yeah. do that. But I, I heard most of them were so. That's a great the, thing. I mean, most of these companies have some form of insurance that could cover those, you know, in the event that people default on their loans or uh, are not able to pay them. So they're, I, I'm sure they have some form of, you know, protection in, uh, as a business. Yeah, and also I don't think, I mean, during, you know, regular, you know, normal pre-COVID time, if you like foreclose or default on your loan, like, you know, it, it wasn't as big of an impact if, 
you know, half your loans do go on default, you know, mm -hmm. because, you know, half the people can't, can't pay it. So I think they're, they're trying to be smart about it and trying to protect themselves against, you know, so many like bankruptcies or foreclosures all at one time. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, forgiving or putting a pause on some of those payments uh, not only helps them, but also, uh, you know, the people that are living in these homes. You know, this thing, I, I hate to say, you know, the good thing about the pandemic, but, you know, there are some great things that have happened to our culture and lots of people have died and lots of people are sick and lots of companies are gone out of business and restaurants. And I know we always dwell on all the bad shit that's happening in the news, but you know what? Cat was right. When, when this happened, it kind of woke us up to a, the fact that, Hey, we can operate on a different level here. We can stop the payments and nobody dies. We can stop the payment and nobody goes broke. We could be more empathetic. We can reach out more. And people are so hungry for, you know, to talk to each other now and to hug each other. And everybody's like, when this shot, when I get the shot, things are going to be better and different and I'm going to live my life different. And that's what a lot of trauma does to us. If I live through this, I'm going to be a better person. That's a, that's a beautiful thing. I, so as far as I'm, I'm not glad it happened, but it does take trauma to, and real hardship to, to change people sometimes. Yeah, definitely. Maybe we'll be a better culture. <laughs> yeah. And I, like I said, I think we're, on the on our on the rebound especially with the vaccine rolling out um you know across the world and across the country oh, i got my second one. Oh my god <laughs> so i think it's we're just kind of counting down the days till we're back to a sense of normality which i think we will get to um sooner rather than later at this point yeah i think so too i think we're on the downside i hope have you guys got a shot yet? Uh, no, I still need to make my appointment. I need my insurance card because I don't have one. You still haven't done that? <laughs> yeah, things are going to be better, Francisco, as soon as people get their fucking insurance card to get their goddamn shot. <laughs> I always forget because I need to get the number from the website. And then I always tell myself, oh, I'll get it at work because we have the website at work. I and want you to soak phone. your mask in vinegar. And then that way, every time you put it on, it will remind you to get your insurance card. <laughs> and they're rolling out, uh, they're rolling out the vaccine to a lot more, uh, like different industries, like all the school teachers are getting it. There's farm workers getting it, which I think was very um, important because I, yeah. I don't think farm workers ever really stopped working. You can't, like they never stopped doing that, you know. Because we all have food on our tables, so obviously. Right. Uh, I think they get very overlooked most of the time. It was on KGTV on the news last night that the food workers and teachers. So it appears that we've gone to that tier B. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of school districts are planning to go back in March, back to in-person. Yeah. So. It extended to April. Yeah. My wife's going back right after spring break. She teaches eighth grade English, so things are looking up. But, you know, back to the question at hand, when will the homeless people, <laughs> when are they going to get lined up for it and for the ones that want it? There is an option at the uh, shelters. I know they were had a list to sign up because they, they're part of this group of people who's living in the congregated area. Um, you know, in large groups where COVID's known to spread. So they can sign up, they can get it. If you work in a shelter, I, they were definitely provided with the option to. I'm not sure how many of them signed up, but with some of the outbreaks that happen at these shelters, I think it's definitely necessary for them too, for their own safety. Yeah. Um, 
They should. I mean, but it, they're, you know, it's completely optional, voluntary. There's not any pressure for them to do to nod if they don't want to. So. Well, yeah. when you're transient and there's two weeks between the shots, that that creates an instant problem. Right. So the problem rolls on, I guess. I I think things are looking up for um, for our industry. And I, again, hate to call it an industry because <laughs> it sounds so capitalistic because we're not trying to make money off these people. I don't think. But the issue is it, it's not an industry as much as it is. It's an outreach. It's help, you know. Yeah. And at the end of the day, like you guys were saying earlier, um, it's going to take a lot of different policies from, you know, that attack different problems. Because like you said, homelessness is not just like a single issue. Like there's a lot of causes of homelessness. Yeah. So you have to fix those little problems that cause homelessness to at the end of the day, stop, uh, you know, that, that major, uh, the big picture of homelessness. I will add one of, sorry. (laughs) I will add that one of the areas that I I would love to see improvement in, in terms of the county or nation, whichever you choose, uh, is the issue with uh, the number of foster care uh, youth who age out of the system and then become homeless. So there's about 20,000 foster youth uh, who age out of foster care at 18. And then within 18 months of being uh, you know, emancipated, 40 to 50% of them become homeless. And I have noticed, I don't know if you guys have also noticed this, but I have noticed that there is an increasing number of young people who are on the streets. And that's always pretty concerning and kind of hurts my heart because they're not much younger than I am. And some of them are the same age as me. And to think that, uh, you know, they they might be in the same place in 20, 30 years is very disheartening, uh, especially if they don't receive services now. Yeah, we need to help them now before the addiction set in, before the trauma right. sets in. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, before I came here, I worked with uh, foster kids over at uh, Child Protective Services. Mm-hmm. So um, like you said, like that's very hard trauma very early on in age. Um, you know, if the kids are lucky, it happens to them like when they're really young. So by the time they're older, it's kind of, you know, uh, they don't think about it as much or it's not a big part of their life. But especially for teenagers, like I know it's very hard on them uh, having to go through that just because they understand everything a little bit better, you know, like they're aware of what's going on. They know the system that they're in. You know, they move homes every few months, every few weeks for some of these kids. And then, you know, like Kat said, when they age out, they're kind of just thrown out there uh, in the world to kind of survive on their own, you know. And I know there's services and uh, even us here, we have, you know, the Tay team, which kind of helps with transitioning them, um, you know, into adult life and providing for themselves. But uh, like I was saying, I just think we need more emphasis on that because there is an increasing number of young homeless people, uh, especially here. Is there anybody else to help them besides uh, county or government programs? Is there any private privatized institutions? Sure there are privatized institutions. I think one of the main issues, though, is everything is. We need these assistance programs and these uh, support teams like more centralized. Right. Because um, I mean, when I worked with. Uh, the foster kids, uh, I didn't really hear much about uh, current behavioral health. Literally, the only time I would hear about it was when uh, coworkers would transfer over there. But like the actual programs and services that we provide, I never really heard from, you know, whether it be the social workers or like the kids themselves, they would never tell me like, oh, I'm, you know, going to therapy or, you know, I, I got this going on. They're helping me with this. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really hear much about that. So I don't know if it's very... Um, if it's kind of like given to them as like options or, you know, assistance, just because they're kind of trying to deal with, uh, you know, maybe other issues that they're going through. 
that kind of gets put in the back of their head. And then by the time they know it, they're, you know, 18, 17, and you, they're kind of scrambling to, to figure out a plan, you know? Yeah. I just saw something really interesting and um, facts about homelessness. There is, <laughs> there's equity, there's racial equity here because it says in 2018, the U.S. homeless figures were 40% black, 50% white, and 10% mixed. Think about that. So homelessness isn't, isn't a racial issue, I don't think. It doesn't look like it from, from that, from that uh, statistic. Ooh, silence. I mean, I think, <laughs> uh, like, uh, more class issue, you know, like the wealthy versus the poor, the whole, like the rich get richer and the poor stay poor, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's kind of, it's a cycle and it's a habit that this country has gone into itself into. And like Kat said, a habit is very hard to break. Well, that would be an interesting question to ask some of the people that we engage with in outreaches. You know, what what was your socioeconomic status as a, as a child or even as an early adult? But I mean, when it comes to mental illness, uh, I've engaged with people, you know, they used to be social workers, they used to be nurses, they used to be doctors, they, they had careers, they owned homes, they've had families, they've worked jobs before. And mental illness usually, at least with the severe schizophrenia uh, spectrum, the bipolar disorder spectrum, major depressive disorder, those settle, you know, in the early mid-20s. So for some of these people, when it hits them, it hits them. And it doesn't really matter what your socioeconomic status is. If it's severe and you don't get treatment, you're going to end up severely mentally ill and could end up on the street. Um, you know, right. it's, it's not, it's not, mental illness is not something that only affects you know, the, the low income poor, although there is a higher likelihood that it will become severe because there is more stigma when it comes to treatment, but it, it affects everyone. I, I've seen, you know, along the economic spectrum, you would, I think most people would be shocked by the number of homeless people with bachelor's degrees. Um, I definitely am each time. It never, you know, never doesn't make me shocked that, uh, you know, it affects everyone. And there, there's a lot, I would say, more than I, than I would have thought if I hadn't come into this field, um, educated homeless people who became mentally ill, and that's where they ended up. We need to bring that up at the next meeting, Kat, because yeah. this whole thing is about data. That's that's what they want. Yeah. And and believe me, I understand because the more data you have, the mm -hmm. the, the more intelligent yeah. way you can attack this problem, and you can mm -hmm. get money because you can say, "Hey, this is this is the issue that we have, and here's the data to back us up." But we right. need to bring that up and put that in the um, the screener. Even right. the intake, what was your socioeconomic status or do you have an education? Any of those things that might help us a little bit. Mm -hmm. Good idea. I knew we brought you on this show for, for a reason. Not on a work day though. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm late almost every day. <laughs> Oh man! Well, Kat, thank you for coming on. Um, we, I, we really appreciate it. It's it's sometimes you know it's just Francisco and I barking back and forth at each other, and, you know. And while people appreciate it, it's nice to have another person in there with their opinions. We appreciate you coming on. Thank you guys for having me. You're welcome, and. uh Maybe, you know, I wanted to bring you on for a, the political show, but, uh, you know, you, you weren't into it. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I have friends on both sides and family on both sides. And I, I think I would save myself by. <laughs> uh, okay. It's, it's a self-protection <laughs> issue. Okay. <laughs> cool. <laughs> all right, Kat. Thank you for coming on. We'll catch you next time. All right. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. All right. Later. Okay.
Hey, man, that was interesting. I mean, I, I got a, I have a, a son who is, you know, he chooses to live outside and, and I dealt with that. It's a hard issue to deal with, not only for him, I'm sure, but for me as well. Because, you know, you have as a parent or a friend or a family member, you have a lot of guilt when someone lives outside. Yeah. So I, I dealt with it by, you know what? I, I love my son. Uh, I'll never stop loving him. And that love created that worry and that worry created that guilt. But when he talked to me, he said, this is what I'm choosing to do. And I respect that. And I let it go and I love him and I talk to him every week. We text back and forth and I make sure he's safe and happy and healthy. And if that's the case, that's where he needs to be. So there are people like that too. Yeah. And I just think it's, it's one of those wars or one of those battles that you have to fight on, on many fronts. Uh, It's not just, Oh, well, Let's, you know, prop a bunch of, uh, you know, cheap housing and we'll be good. Yeah. Like there's, there's the housing, uh, issue, there's funding issue, there's, you know, fixing the stigma on mental health. And there's just so many fronts that need to get like attacked at the same time that it's, it's very hard. You know, it's, you know, it's like those cartoons where, you know, the, there's a crack and you plug it and then another one pops up, you know, and you try to plug that one and it's, yeah. At the end of the day, it's very hard to, to plug all the all the cracks. Um, yeah, there's but- some metaphor for that. The the Dutch boy on the dike, trying to stick his fingers in all the holes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, sooner uh, or later, you run out of fingers, man. You know. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I think it's definitely something we can uh, achieve uh, at some point in the future. We just kind of have to change our mentality. Uh, like overall this country, this society of how we treat people. And I mean, if you ask me, like you could, this could be my inner, like Karl Marx coming out. <laughs> but I mean, to me at the end of the day, it comes down to what Kat was saying earlier about how uh, for a lot of these people, you know, they're, they're trying to make a profit and we live in a society where, you know, that's the main thing we're worried about is, uh, trying to make a profit and trying to make more and more money. And when you live in a, in a system like that, in a society like that, there's going to be people that get pushed down to the bottom. Yeah. Instead of trying to live in a society where, you know, I want to, you know, be well off and, you know, financially stable, which I mean, I don't think is a bad thing to, to want those things. You know, I, I think everybody wants that. Um, but I think we should live in a society where we want that for everybody. Um, and, you know, it's once we kind of, you know, flip that switch and try to begin to, you know, like you said, empathize um, for the people at the bottom. And, you know, when they say like, oh, pick yourself up by the bootstraps, like it's not that easy. You know, the people at the top and the people that have all the power and all the money are either people that, uh, you know, kind of never struggled and were, you know, born into that wealth or people that, you know, so there are some people that came from the bottom and, you know, made it to the top, but then yeah. they kind of, a lot of them have that mentality like, oh, well, I did it. So can anybody, so can anybody else? Yeah. And, that's the problem. Not so, everybody has your luck and your skill, buddy. Right. And then, so, you know, the people at the top, they kind of have the same mentality where like, well, you know, work for, like I did it, you can do it too, where it's, it's not that easy. It's not that simple. And, and I mean, even itself, like the, the saying, pull it, pull yourselves up by the bootstraps. It was coined the way, like when it was originally coined, it was coined to mock people that think that way, because it's impossible to pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Like it's <laughs> impossible. Like you can't pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Like that's not a realistic thing. Yeah. And uh, it's morphed into something that's like, Hey, be tough. Yeah. <laughs> When in reality, it's like that way of thinking is pretty, you know, fucking stupid. <laughs> uh, 
and I don't know, man. Like, I think just for me personally, the longer I like hear and like learn about this and like read into these things, like it's almost like I can see why people uh, get so frustrated with the way our system works um, here because yeah. it just feels like we're at a stalemate and like nothing's getting done. And, you know, people like to mock like AOC and like Bernie Sanders, like, oh, they're like, they want all these major changes and like they're like radical liberals and like it's not what they're proposing isn't radical at all it's it's, it's kind yeah like yeah health care like you know minimum wage like all these things I've, I've read that you know a big thing about minimum wage is like oh well you know if you good luck raising the minimum wage to 15 and uh you know your big mac is going to cost 12 dollars where that's just that's not true like that will not happen uh there's you know in denmark the like the average i saw this stat uh this statistic where the average mcdonald's employee here in, in the united states makes like 950 975 an hour uh and a big mac here is like 485 or like four something in denmark the average mcdonald's worker makes uh 19 dollars an hour and most of them make over twenty dollars an hour and guess what a big mac costs over there i have it's, no idea it's 515 <laughs> so it went up 35 cents if that and they're unionized and they get overtime pay and they get paid uh sick leave so it's like we it's like i said earlier uh when we we're talking to rob uh or robert last time you know we have these issues and I feel like we have all the solutions and we're still choosing to not implement them. Why? Because a lot of people are greedy. A lot of people want to keep what they have and they don't want to take that and help the people that need the help. Yeah. You know, you know what, dude, doing this podcast with you has really woken me up. I, not, not that I was a full-time capitalist when we started, as a matter of fact, on our first or second one, I, I, literally said i hate capitalism and you were like whoa wait a minute so <laughs> but yeah, we kind of like like I, your morphing has forced me further I, I actually i'm reading a book right now called why marx was right and i wrote a blog on um linkedin about it and talk about pushback okay and all i was saying was marxism is not you know, it, it's not that AOC and Bernie want Marxism, okay? Marxism is simply just a critique of this system that we have. That's all. Marx wasn't saying we need to do this. It was more like you need to stop doing what you're doing. So I'm reading this book called Marx Was Right. We'll talk about it in a, in a podcast when I finish it. But you know what? You have pushed me to the point where... I, I have to agree with you now. This system is so fucking broken, man. When you have half a million people living on the street and people working three jobs and still can't afford to feed themselves and put gas in their car and nobody has health care, what a fuck up that is, man. And if you are one of those people that says, well, capitalism is correct, no, I, I can't agree with you anymore. Not, not when so many people suffer under the system. Exactly. So it's just, I think capitalism is a needed step towards uh, like socialism or like communism. And I think one of the things, it's very much like mental health, like there's this big stigma that comes with the word socialism or communism. Like when people say communism, like their eyes, like, you know, bulge out of their head and they're like, <laughs> exactly. Know, trying to be like China or like, you know, communist, like the USSR. When, if you think about China is a completely uh, capitalistic country. Yes. Uh, they just have like no regulation and pay their workers like two cents a day, you know? Right. Um, they have a ruling class that that is almost a dictatorship. Yeah. And I mean, if you think about it, we have that just to a lesser degree here. Uh, even the USSR was, it was an oligarchy, you know, it was full of monopolies. Uh, that's not communism. If you look up communism and socialism, it's when you know the workers have ownership of of the product of of like uh what is the word or the phrase um 
the workers have ownership of uh, the means, you know, right? Everything that you know they make, they're they're part owners. They're they get to benefit from you know all the profits, not just the people on top. And like, what? if you explain that to people, like, why? I don't get why that's such a bad thing. Right. You know, Cuba, not also not communist, more of a dictatorship. But these, this dictatorship and this oligarchy and this this form of capitalism, without they all those countries all have this this little tweaks of communism and socialism, like like Cuba, where they had a ninety nine percent literacy rate, and they attributed that to communism. So when you identify with something and the world, you tell the world, Hey, we're a communist society, then the world has to go in and look at what you're doing. And we have to decide. And, and like you said, most of us just say Russia was communist. China was communist. Cuba was communist, you know, Venezuela. We have all these ideas about communism and this brutal way that these dictators and oligarchs treat the people. And then we look at ourselves and we say, well, we're not like that, but to a degree we are. Yeah. And I think the United States as a whole throughout its history has kind of made a business out of, uh, promoting that, uh, communism is bad. Like you don't want to hear. Oh, hell yeah. The red scare, the fifties. Yeah. Because, I mean, the people that are that have the power to influence, you know, the masses like that are the people at the top. And they know that if things were to change, they would lose uh, a lot of their power, you know. Yeah. Um, I just think spreading, getting spreading and widening that that wealth, uh, you know, graph is I mean, I don't see why that's such a terrible thing. (laughs) It's not um, unless you're rich and you have to give away some sort of some of your shit. <laughs> yeah. And then people, I don't know why people are so hard bent on defending like billionaires. Like you're not a billionaire. <laughs> like if billionaires want to try to defend themselves. Okay. That's one thing, but like normal average, like you make, you know, 40, $50,000 a year. Why are you, why are you defending Jeff Bezos and all these like, you know, uh, Easy, dude. That's easy. Because look at what we do. We have, this is idolatry, okay? This is what our country is based on, superheroes. Those are our heroes. That's the people I want to be like. Don't run down Superman. Don't run down Jeff Bezos. Because someday I could be like that if I find some fucking magic miracle way to do that. You know? So. That's why we defend them because we want to be like them. We want to emulate them. We want to live like that. We, we, we're sad when we can't get on our private jet that we own and jet over to fucking Paris. You know, that's, that's the lifestyle that we're like, yeah, that's what I want. That's the thing that capitalism gives me if I can find a way to do it. But the, the situation is you're never going to find a way to do it. And you need to accept that. And that the person that did it needs to give back, needs to be thankful that they're in that position. Yeah. It's kind of like winning the lottery. Like, is there yeah. a chance? Yeah. But is it going to happen to you? Probably not. Probably not. Probably not. It's All right, just- man, we are standing at 58 minutes. And I, like I said, my wife wants to go to Starbucks. So, and I do too, you know, come on, be honest. But <laughs> said, hey, maybe if I start a Starbucks, I'll get my private jet. Yeah, wait a minute. <laughs> but I wanted to, I wanted to discuss something. I want to change something. The not the format, but I want to change from Francisco and Robert to Lalo and Bob. And if that's all right with you, I'll do all that stuff over the next few weeks. The changeover would be kind of hard, but I identify with Bob or Bobby more than I identify with Robert. And the reason that I went with Robert at, at our work was for a period of time, I got, I went to therapy and I got, I, I, I found my, my path to, to, to get out of anxiety and get out of OCD and get this podcast and everything and get a job. And 
to me, Robert was more businesslike and, but I'm not that way, dude. Um, I don't mind being called Robert, but I don't identify with it. Mm-hmm. So I, I was raised by my grandparents and I've, I've been Bob and Bobby all my life. And I, cha- <laughs> I changed it in the last two years. And that's really strange. I know to hear because everybody in the life that I have built now knows me as Robert, but I'm here to tell you that's fucking over. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So my name is Bob and I want to go with Lalo and Bob, but we need to find out where Lalo came from because that doesn't, uh, that's not a name. <laughs> I mean, it is a name, first of all. Is it? Um, well, for me, the thing is um, uh, kind of like you, I've always identified with both names just because uh, in school or in any like work setting that I was in, uh, like Francisco is my, you know, government legal name. Yeah. So that's what I was, I was always called in school. Um, but growing up in my family, they would always call me Lalo because it's one of those things like, you know how there's like William and Bill, uh-huh. and like uh, Richard and Dick, stuff like that, you know? Yeah, Bob so, and Robert. Yeah. So for me, my middle name is uh, Eduardo. And in Mexico, like Mexican culture, uh, Lalo is like the shortened, like, or like, oh, so it is a name. Yeah. yeah uh, I'd never heard it before I met you. And then I, when somebody called you, somebody called you Lalo. And, that's probably uh, Ralph. Yeah, up. Ralph. And then I picked it up because it sounded more comfortable and more familiar. Yeah. So um, like with that name, I've, that's how I've grown up, like with my family and then like my close friends. Like that's just what they've always called me. Uh, like my siblings, like, Francisco, that name never gets said like in my household. When <laughs> um, but I mean, I don't, I don't really mind either one. I I identify with both just because I kind of get half at home and then half, you know, outside of home at work, you know, wherever I go anywhere. Right. Um, but yeah, that's where it comes from. It's kind of weird because I don't really get how you get Lalo from Eduardo. Well, I don't know how you get Dick from Richard. So whatever. I think I think a lot of those names, to be honest, comes from the way babies try to say names, uh, and it kind of comes out all weird. Yeah, and so they like kind of they adopted that and stuck like ran with it. Uh, but yeah, that's where Lalo comes from. There's a lot of uh, like j- like just like in English, there's a lot of names that uh, that have that like Francisco. Um, I don't know if you've noticed that work. A lot of people call me Pancho. Yeah. Cause that's like the same thing with Francisco. Um, and so one person calls you Armando or something. I don't <laughs> Cause they forget my name, but it's okay. <laughs> I don't take it really personal. I don't, I try not to take myself so serious, but. Uh, uh, yeah. Thanks. I don't either anymore. That's not why I'm drop. I'm trying to drop Robert. It's like, God, that just sounds so like, I don't know, professional. I'm not, prof- I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that with my life. But yeah, that's where that comes from. So, I mean, like I said, I identify with both either way. So it doesn't really matter. Like if people come on here and they call me Francisco, that's fine. All right. All right. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to change, I'm going to change it if it's all right with you. Yeah, that's fine. All right. It's a Lalo and Bob show. (laughs) (laughs) That just sounds better to me. It's like, uh, what's the word? Like, informal appealing yeah more like more like our podcast which are like completely uh, unedited uh, just raw like yeah fuck this fuck that whatever (laughs) all right dude i appreciate you man um we're gonna wrap this one up lots of good information in this one uh serious topic something that need to be talked about i think to Tomorrow we're supposed to have a uh, Robert back on, and he he said, "What's the topic?" And I said, "Well, Mitch McConnell is a pussy, and uh, Ted Cruz is an asshole. You know, whatever." Oh my God, Ted Cruz! <laughs> Something. Else, yeah, we're gonna talk about that this weekend, man. <laughs> he's like, I don't know. I'll save it till tomorrow. Okay, cool. But I wanted, uh, before we wrap it up, uh, 
just another thanks to Kat for coming on. I feel like her, she's very, from what I see her, like from what she said today and from what I see at work, she's very like passionate about, you know, yeah. this. And she's, she's very invested and she really does care. Um, yeah. That girl has a heart man. That's, so I feel that's like cool. her, her input and her opinions are very, very much appreciated here. You know, out of, she is first one out of the van, first one to pull up, the first one to point people out. She's she's a she's a, a beautiful soul, and I do appreciate working with her. And uh, <laughs> we've had we've had some weird fucking occurrences in the field together for <laughs> when we were in the field before the pandemic. So yeah, you're right. Thank you, Cat, for coming on. I appreciate it. Anything else you got, man? Um. No, at least I'll save the rest for tomorrow. All right, cool. More, uh, I don't know. Uh, Inflammatory? Yeah, but there's that's the word. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right, so this Saturday morning, we're going to wrap it up. This is uh, Bob. And Lalo. Yeah, and this is a thoroughly wrong project. And please, tune in tomorrow because... We're going to roast Ted Cruz like a fucking duck. <laughs> See you tomorrow, man. Later, man. Later. You have now experienced the Thoroughly Wrong Project with your podcast hosts, Lalo and Bob. We can now be found on Pandora Radio, Apple Podcasts, Podium Podcast, or by searching the Thoroughly Wrong Project to locate our YouTube channel. You can contact us directly by email at thoroughlywrong at gmail.com or just leave a comment on any of our platforms. Until next time, thanks for spending your valuable time with us and remember, always speak up and never be afraid to be thoroughly wrong. Thoroughly wrong.